Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by WhoScored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by WhoScored's very own Ben. You're making your debut this week, Ben, and looking very snazzy in the hmm. Ajax shirt. And we've got Spurs point of view as well. We've got last word on Spurs. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm not bad, thank you. Not bad. Ricky here, just so everyone can yeah, I, I don't know why I decided yeah. not to call you by your <laughs> name. I feel like I am last one on Spurs, but yeah, nice, nice to meet you guys. Ricky here, <laughs> thanks so much. Yeah, yeah, Ricky, of course, did the Spurs preview for us and was a bit, not sub- subdued to the wrong word, but you were a bit tentative with your predictions, but Spurs have got off to a good start, as expected, which we'll come on to later on in the show. Now, it is game week one. This is where all the predictions that you make pre-season go completely out the window. You lose all your mm. bets and your bottom of the Fantasy Football League. That's how my weekend went anyway, and my team lost as well, of course. Ben, what lessons have we learned from, from the first week? What stood out to you? I think the key one was Fulham. Um, mm. I really thought they would get turned over by Liverpool. I know they obviously did really well under Marco Silva last season, but Silva has a very questionable record in the Premier League. But they held their own against Liverpool. Mitrovic absolutely bullied Van Dijk on and off the ball. Um, and they really surprised they really surprised me. Um, a good, good, good omen for things to come for them, I think. Yeah, I was really impressed by Fulham. I sat there and watched that game Saturday lunchtime. Mitrovic, Ricky, he did cause Van Dijk problems on the floor as well. A bit of Fetabix at times from Mitrovic. You don't often see Van Dijk in, in trouble on the floor, especially against someone like Mitrovic. Yeah, I think Joe, you know he came into the game with a real point to prove. I think there's a question mark as to whether he can become a Premier League striker. There's no doubt, of course, done really, really well in the Championship. And I think if Fulham do stay up, that's a key reason as to why they will stay up. Because um, I think you can already see he is raring to go, took both his goals really, really well. And I think generally now you look at Fulham, they've made some astute signings. I think you've got Sander Marco Silva, I think as a manager. There is still that question mark as to whether he is a Premier League proven manager. We saw he really fouled at Everton. So he's come back, I think, at Fulham of Vengeance, got them up, wants to prove his Premier League pedigree. And um, listen, a point at home to Liverpool, certainly not a bad start at all. They'll be disappointed to concede the goal late at the end. But overall, I think if you offered Fulham a point beforehand, they would have snapped your arm off for it. Yeah, I think as well, Marco Silva, actually, if you look at, he's left, obviously left Everton and they've not been any good since. I don't think he actually did a bad job when you look back at what he did there. Came close to keeping Hull up as well. I thought Fulham looked very, very good on Saturday. There was a lot to like about what Fulham did. Staying with you, Ricky, we're coming on to Spurs because we're previewing their game this weekend. But always nice to start off the season with three points, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, convincing three points. I think, um, you know, we didn't get off to the start we wanted against Southampton in terms of the goal going against us, but... I've got to say, and it actually worries me now talking about uh, this with Tottenham, bearing in mind, obviously, I've done last one on Spurs for the last five, six years. There seems to be a calming, unerring presence about Tottenham that even when they go behind, they are so fully focused on bringing the game back, going in front. It almost feels too calm and too <laughs> composed from Tottenham about going behind in the game now. And there is just that air of confidence under Conte that no matter what he's thrown at them, they will find a way to win. Now, again, it is only Southampton. I think, listen, they lost their last four games of last season. So, certainly, I don't want to get too carried away. And I try and always keep my feet on the ground with Tottenham. But uh, you can only beat what's in front of you. And I thought the way Spurs come back into the game was phenomenal. I think Kulisevsky is proving himself to be one of the that. best 20, 20 year, well, 22-year-olds in, I would honestly go and say, world football. I know that's a really big statement to say. And people might be able to put a laugh the track in the background there. But hmm. I honestly think this guy... Um, is phenomenal. When you look at the stats of last season, I think Kane, Son, Kulisevsky were up there towards the end of last season as the, the three, well, as a, as a front three, they were up there along with the stats of being the top three players, contributing, assisting, scoring goals, goal involvements as well. 
They've been phenomenal. And it's great to know that, really, Kane and Son, they can afford to have an off day. And Kulisevsky's there. Richardson's going to come off the bench. So Spurs have got some real strength in depth in terms of that forward line. I think, as I've always remained consistent on the last one on Spurs, and I'll say it on here as well, I still think that we may need to get ourselves a creative midfielder. I think there'll be certain games where the likes of a Everton, Fulham, a Brentford, a Forest, they're going to come and potentially put 10 behind the ball, low block. Have we got the capability to find a way to win? And although I'm really contradicting myself because I am saying we can find a way to win already, I still think there'll be certain games where you may need to tweak that formation, which I know Conte doesn't normally tend to do. He normally tends to stick to the same 11, the same formation. But um, if a James Madison or a Nicolo Zaniolo is available, uh, or Lucas Paqueta for that matter, I certainly wouldn't be against seeing Spurs just dip their toes again into the market. I know I know we've been very busy. Six already through a seventh joining us soon in Destiny Adogi. That will go back out on loan. So can't really complain, if I'm being honest with you, Dan, as much as I've tried to have a little bit of a moment there. Yeah, some deb- debutantes from the bench for Spurs, Ben. If you were to pick a debutante from the Premier League weekend who impressed you, who would you pick? It's kind of hard to look beyond Saliba. Um, obviously, Arsenal fans have been waiting three years for him to make his debut. He was excellent for Marseille last season. And he came into that Arsenal defence and just looked so composed for a player who has never played in the Premier League before and who's 21 years of age. Um, comfortable on the ball. He Any threat he dealt with was just ease. And he looks a real Rolls-Royce Rolls of a centre-back. Yeah, a bit of a, a bit of the Van Dykes about him when he's not coming up against Mitrovic. I thought from today, <laughs> but just just did everything very very well. I thought in Crystal Palace, tough tough place to go on the first day. I thought it was as a composed debut as you could have asked for from Saliba. Ricky, what about you? One Premier League debutant? Uh, I probably would say Erlen Haaland. I think um, many people were quick to write him off based on a pre-season. Friendly. I know, uh, obviously, that's what Liverpool will call that cup now. Bearing in mind, they didn't, obviously, well, City will call it that. Obviously, bearing in mind, they didn't go on to win it. But um, I think there would have been some emphasis on seeing how Haaland would react to actually playing first time on his hand, Premier League football. And I think took his goal, the second one especially, really, really well. I think we're in for a really, really special striker in the Premier League. Once again, we had some greats down the years. I'll put Harry Kane. I have to put Omri into that mould as well. I think Haaland would be right up there. I really, really do. So... That will be two of many, I think, Haaland. I, I've been really impressed with the way that he adapted himself. He obviously coming into a new league. I think we've seen strikers around world football that have come over here and have struggled. So to get two goals on his debut, for, formal debut, it'll be delighted. And I'm sure, as I keep on saying, that'll be two of many. But hopefully none against Spurs, please, Erland. I'm going to pump for João Paulinho from Fulham because I thought he was excellent. In that, in that midfield. I actually thought him and Harrison Reid was quite quite a nice partnership. Harrison Reid's a player that I've actually rated for a few years. Very neat and tidy on the ball. Gets around the pitch very well. But Paulinho just it was like he'd been a Premier League player his, his, his whole life. And I know he cost a fair bit of money for Fulham, but already I would say he looks worth that outlay because he was tackling, he was intercepting, putting himself in the right place, keeping it simple. Real physical presence in the midfield as well, which I think is what you need as a newly promoted side. So, yeah, Paulinho would be my pick. I thought he was absolutely outstanding for Fulham. Ben, I think we've got a top 10, haven't we, of debutants, which I keep saying, I feel like I'm saying it in a weird way, but yeah, top 10 <laughs> debutants from the weekend. Yeah, there's three Bournemouth players, which you won't be happy about. Uh, no, not really. Marcus, Marcus Tavernier was top with an 8.03. Three goal-scoring chances created. Bournemouth only created five, so he was responsible for three of them. Was unfortunate not to get an assist in that one. Also completed six dribbles, which was the joint most in the first round of fixtures. So a very good debut. I was quite surprised he came in, um, given he only joined at the beginning of the week. But 
Parker sort of had that faith in him and was rewarded. Uh, Kiefer Moore and Jordan Zamora both feature in there as well, as does Erling Haaland, Koulibaly and Nunes. Saliba's down in seventh and to run off the bottom three, it's Rasmus Christensen, João Paulinha and controversially to some, Lissandro Martinez. Let's swiftly move on from that and preview Chelsea v Spurs then. Ricky, we spoke obviously in the, in the preview show for Spurs a few weeks ago. We were talking about Spurs potentially finishing third. And I think actually all of us on the show that day, I think we predicted Spurs to finish third. Did you, did you have them third as well? Do you still think they're best place to replace Chelsea in that top three? At the moment, yeah. I mean, I think I said it before and I, I maintain the fact with Chelsea. I still don't think they've done enough for me to to really see me putting Chelsea in that top four at the moment. I mean, Spurs have started the season in really good fashion. Again, I will caveat by saying it's Southampton. They lost four out of the last four last season. So I think many were expecting Spurs to win. I think it was just a case of just how, how comprehensive Spurs did beat Saints at the weekend. Would have maybe raised a few eyebrows and coming from behind. I think we always know in the Premier League that I think always a first goal is crucial to the way Spurs responded got back in the game and really kind of suffocated Saints towards that 4-1 win. Yeah, it was really, really good. And at the moment, yeah, I stand by what I'm saying. I still think Spurs will finish third as things stand. Yeah, I think I'd go along with that as well. Spurs very effective on the first day. Ben, the transfer business, it's a bit of a contrast, Spurs and Chelsea, because Spurs obviously got so much done so early, really backed the manager, got in the players that Conte wanted, which is a great thing for Spurs fans and a great thing for Conte, because you know you want to get Conte on side because he is a world-class manager. Mm. Chelsea operating a little bit differently. Obviously, they've had takeover issues in the summer, so it was always going to be harder for them to get going in the terms of doing the transfer business. There seems to be a lot of outgoings at Chelsea. Don't seem to want to have a striker at the football club. But they're obviously having to leave it late, which sometimes can impact the start of the season. And you feel it may impact this game in some way? Possibly. I mean, they've got Sterling, who is just a world-class forward, who can lead the line if need be. And uh, in support of Havertz, who was, you know, arguably Chelsea's best striker last season, and with Mount there as well. They do still have a good front three, but I see what you mean about them missing kind of another piece of the puzzle in that attack. Um they do still need another centre-back. You've obviously missed out on Jules Koundé and were linked with Milan Skriniar. Um, they are supposedly going to launch a world record bid for Wesley Fofana, and he would be a very good signing. Yeah, great player. Um, but yeah, it just feels like they do need just one more attacker, especially if Lukaku and now Werner both gone. Yeah, Ricky, were you surprised at, at Werner going? I mean, it hasn't worked out perfectly for him at, at Chelsea at all, but he can be effective. I think actually, if you look at his goal contributions, if you take into account goals and assists, I think he's one, one in two for goals and assists across his performances, which, you know, that, that, that's pretty good in, in all honesty. It didn't quite work out, but he's not the first striker to fail at Chelsea. But to get rid of him when there's not really, they're not even really been linked with any strikers at the moment, does seem a bit strange. Yeah, I, if I'm being honest, with you, I, I was more surprised. I was more surprised that Chelsea didn't bring in another forward first before letting Werner go. I think that's probably what surprised me the most. I mean, that that for me is probably the biggest thing out the, out of the whole equation that you're seeing Chelsea not bringing in a forward before letting someone go in an area that they look very weak on. They seem to be insistent that they want to play. Uh, I think it looks like Havertz as a false nine. I'll be honest with you. I don't. To me. I don't think that's a, a sufficient idea for the rest of the season. They're going to have to look at bringing in another striker or two now in the end of the window. And that's what I mean about Chelsea. I mean, their bins in general has been quite erratic, I'll be honest with you, Dan. You know, Cucurella, was he ever really on their target list? I don't think so, the nature of how late they've moved. I think at the moment they're working against the clock. And I think that might catch up with them throughout the season. I think you have to identify your targets early. You need to know who you're bringing in from the start of the summer 
I think when you're working backwards to some degree the way they are, I'm not sure how successful that model will be be for Chelsea. Yeah, and Ben Richarlison's returning for Spurs. He obviously missed the first game due to suspension. I think that was for throwing the flare back into the crowd. Really, you know, he's the kind of player that perhaps Chelsea will ruin missing out on because he would have done a good job for them, especially in the circumstances they've got with no striker at the moment. He probably won't play for Spurs on Sunday, but you know, to be part of that squad, you look at Spurs' front options now, Kudelski on absolute fire, Kane and Son, obviously. You've got Lucas who can come in as well. Spurs is Firepower far outweighs Chelsea's at the moment. Yeah, Richarlison, I know he costs around 50 mil apparently, um, but you can't see him getting into that front three at the moment. But then it's also good to have that strength and depth with them because they really lacked kind of a good backup for Harry Kane. Um, Lorente was there, Carlos Vinicius were there, but they don't have that kind of uh, flexibility as Richarlison, who can then cover Sun, can then cover cover Kulusevski and also Kane and do a very good job at doing so yeah. as you say he won't he won't initially break into that front three because they're just all three of them are so good together but it's a nice option to have for Conte so Ricky obviously we've been very positive about Spurs in this podcast so far and in previous podcasts but just to put a dampener on things a little bit Conte's record against Chelsea last season reads three games three defeats zero goals scored and Chelsea also had Kepper in goal you see that changing on Sunday? Well, bizarrely, I know it's a risk of me to say this, I'm actually going into Stanford Bridge confident, which is never a good thing. I think when our record is one win in 21 years. So I should really be pessimistic, but bizarrely, the way Spurs have started the season, the way we've recruited over the summer, the mood around the club, from what I know from, again, just feedback, is that everybody's in a real good place right now. The players are really happy. The staff's really happy. Everybody's pulling together. And I think you look at the opposite side of that, Chelsea, as I keep on saying, Everything looks a bit erratic at the moment. Um, what I will add is that Chelsea do have world-class players that on their day, if they all turn up and give 100% and 10 out of 10, it can be very hard to beat them. But um, if any one of those players are off their game, I think Conte has already got Tottenham mentally, physically prepared for the game where he actually said the back end of last season, he said, I wish I could go to Stanford Bridge with my team now. And that was before he made the six signings with a seventh obviously coming in very soon. I just think... For me personally, I would take a point because I'm not greedy. I think Stamford Bridge is always a tough place for Tottenham to go. But if Spurs go there and win, I think there'll be a whole nother level of pressure on Tottenham just in terms of what the media are going to expect from Spurs. I think because Conte's in charge, that Spurs are being seen as almost a dark horse in the title race. And I think for me, I would rather Spurs go under the radar because I think Tottenham are a club where whenever there's pressure on them, they're not a great club at dealing with pressure. So... In answer to the question, Dan, um, I shouldn't be saying this, but I am going confident to Stanford Bridge. I must be mad, to be honest with you. I must be crazy. And Ben, you're actually a Spurs fan as well. Did you echo that? Chelsea were efficient against Everton, I think would be a nice way of describing how they played. They went there, got the job done. Everton worked hard, found themselves in the game. But, but Chelsea, by a penalty, won the game and, and did the job, walked away with a 1-0, perfect away from home. But are you confident going to Stanford Bridge? Because it hasn't been a happy hunting ground at all. No, can never be confident against Stamford Bridge. Chelsea had a pretty poor record going to Everton ahead of Saturday. They'd failed to win in four. So to kind of get that back on track, to get that record sorted, it kind of it boosts morale coming into this game against Tottenham, which is exactly what you need for them. Um, I, as Ricky says, I'll be happy with a point. Um, gladly take all three, obviously, but I just I can't see it happening because whenever Tottenham do go to Chelsea, they seem to just kind of go into the shell. They don't play the way that they usually play. Um, 
So I, I can't share Ricky's confidence on this one. I do think Chelsea will still kind of eck out the three points, but really? obviously I'll take all three. No, you know what? I think I think things are changing at Spurs. I think Conte is such a good manager that you know I almost feel like past records don't mean too much now. This is a team very much in his mould. He's had that pre-season, that brutal pre-season with the players now. Conte, I think this is a different Spurs. I, I actually fancy Spurs to go to Stamford Bridge and pick up all, all three points. I, I think Spurs are that good at the moment. Really enjoy watching them. So many phenomenal players. And I think Chelsea is still in the process of building their team this season, whereas Tottenham feel very much the finished article, ready for the season. So I think that will stand Spurs in good stead. Ben, we're going to do some combined 11s. Let's start with the statistical who scored 11 of Chelsea and Spurs players. Yep. So this is based on league rating since the start of last season. So there are a couple of players that have come in that will factor in their who scored rating from the start of last season. In goal, it's Hugo Lloris. There's a all Chelsea back three of Koulibaly, Jago Silva and Trevor Chalobah. Obviously, he didn't get much of a look in towards the end of uh, in the second half of last season, but he did have a very good who scored rating from the first half of last season, which comes into account. Uh, in midfield, there's Reese James, Rodrigo Bentancourt, Mason Mount, and Ivan Perisic. Whether Perisic starts on Sunday remains to be seen. I still think Conte will go with Sessignon, but happy to be proven wrong. And up front, I think there's a total agreement on this one of Kulusevski, Kane, and Son. Completely disagree with the, with the who scored statistical <laughs> back three. I think, yeah, Romero has been a great signing, and I think Eric Dyer does a very underrated job at Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, I've got. I think I've gone for the same team as um, as, as Ben there, but all my only change is that I have had Basuma in as opposed. I think we had Mount in there, so that's the only difference from my end. So yeah, my team was reading. Um, I went with a recent goal. I had a. I think I had Chilwell and James as the fullbacks. Uh, Romero, Dyer. I had with Ben Davis at defence, and then we had a yeah midfield. I had obviously Basuma as opposed to Mount, and then a forward liner Kane, Son, Kulusevski. Yeah, that front three. I think everyone in the mm. world would pick that front three, even at the, the moment, even the 100%. even the Chelsea fan with the biggest blinkers on in the world. I think would pick the Spurs mm. front three over any Chelsea offering in there. Koulibaly v Kulusevski could be a, a big battle in there, Ricky. Koulibaly looked good last week. He, he looks like they won't miss Rudiger at all. Koulibaly's a world-class centre-half, been operating yeah. at the highest level for a long time. Really, really good signing. Everything you would want from a centre-back. But Kulusevski, unbelievable performance. Just such a, such a flair player. can do so much. And, you know, these two have come up against each other in Serie A before as well. I, I still can't believe that Spurs have got Kulusevski because the season before... <laughs> He was so good for Juve, scored a lot of really important goals. For Spurs to have him, just been an unbelievable signing. Yeah, it's funny because I think, um, and you'll notice that as well with social media. I mean, social media made their judgment on Kulisevsky within 20 minutes. They went, this guy can't run, he's not quick, get rid of him. And it's like, I mean, listen, this guy is just, when you see the way he's adapted to the Premier League, and listen, we've all seen, you know, really, really good players from Serie A, from La Liga that come over here and really struggle to adapt themselves to the pace of the game, the intensity of the game. But Kulisevsky looks like he's been playing over here for years. I mean, it's just frightening. You look at his goal involvement since he's come here. He's right up there amongst the top three or five in the league over the last couple of seasons already. And the biggest comment I can pay him is that he has to be in Spurs' first team at the moment. And that's despite the fact they're spending a huge amount of money on Richarlison. And that's what I even love about Kulisevsky. He knows he's under pressure for that spot now because Spurs have spent a huge amount of money on a sh- on another forward. And normally when Spurs spend £60 million on a player, there is that expectancy that guy has to start 
And Kulisevsky, to be fair, is Sam, you've got to take my place. And I've got to be honest and say to you at the moment, um, we're lucky. Spurs have got a lot of games coming up. They've obviously got Champions League, we've got the domestic competitions. We're going to be playing almost three times a, a week, essentially, at times. So I think there'll be lots of games to come where we can share the minutes out. But for the moment, I mean, Kulisevsky, the biggest compliment I can pay to him is that he's undroppable. And I think, as you said, Dan, we're a very lucky club to have him. He has already shown his class. And you know what? 22. The frightening thing is, he's only going to get better. That's the greatest thing. Arguably first name on the team sheet. At, yeah, at the moment. totally. It at the moment. when Kane and Son are yeah. there. But at the moment, you yeah. know, I think Kulisevsky is probably the first pick for Spurs. He's that good. Let's do some predictions then. Ben, yours first. What are you predicting for the game? I know initially I said that Chelsea would probably win, but that's just the pessimistic side of me supporting Spurs. It's been ingrained in me for about 15 years now. Um, I'm going to go for a draw, one all. Playing it on playing it safe. Ricker? Yeah, Joe, I was going to say the same thing. I'll, I'll spice up a little bit. I'll say a 2-2, but I was also going to say a draw. Um, Dan, I'm not greedy. I would love to sit here and predict Spurs to go to Stamford Bridge and win. But at the same time, acknowledge the fact, listen, Chelsea got world-class players. They've got a really good manager. The crowd could be up for that one. I mean, I have to say, Stamford Bridge, um, you know, generally, it's not the most loudest atmosphere uh, for Premier League games, but they do, those fans, the home fans, do raise the roof for Tottenham at home. They will try and make it as intimidating as possible and as uncomfortable for those Spurs players. So I think, having putting all that into account, I think I'll take a point and go for a 2-2 draw. Oh, you're going to like my prediction, I think. Chelsea nil, Tottenham 2. Wow. <laughs> I, I think wow. Chelsea, as efficient as they were last week, I didn't see mm. them as a threat going forward against Everton. I think Spurs will be a tougher nut to crack. As well, so I can see Spurs going there, keeping a clean sheet. And I think at the moment, you just cannot see Spurs not scoring. So I think it'll be a mm. relatively comfortable 2 0 for Tottenham. That, that's what I'm going with. <laughs> it's incredible yeah. when you I've say that, Dan. It doesn't matter, does it? It's incredible when you say that, Dan, when you think the fact Spurs have only won once in the last 21 years at Stanford Bridge. And I've seen it a lot this week. Lots of people it's saying coming. they expect Spurs to go there and win, which is obviously indicament to where Spurs are at the moment. It's, it's great to hear that. Mm. Yeah, it's coming. This is the, this is the season. Lump all your money on 2-0 to Tottenham Hotspur. Oh, good. The bit I was really looking forward to now. Let's preview Aston Villa v Everton, Ben. Villa, you, you know, you look forward to the season. You, you're buzzing for the season to start. You sit down to watch the game. And within two minutes, you've faced a corner and you're 1-0 down against a newly promoted side. You then transpire to do absolutely nothing in the game. Yeah, I'm, I don't even know what to say. That pretty much sums up Villa's day, but it's a really disappointing opening day for Villa fans, wasn't it, Ben? Yeah, it's the second season in a row now. You've lost to a um, newly, promoted type, newly promoted side on the opening day of the season. Um, it just, it, Villa just weren't very good. You just weren't at the races. Uh, yeah, I think that's a kind way of putting it. Um, but then, you know, you've got the big eternal managerial battle of Gerrard versus Lampard. Um but they do have very similar win ratios, which is actually quite surprising because when Gerard first came in, there was kind of a boost around Villa Park, but his win ratio since he took charge is 35.7%, whereas Lampard's is 31.6%. So it's a lot closer than some might care to admit. You need to get up at them early. You need to attack them from the outset and you need to just up the game straight away because if Villa Park gets going, then Everton are going to really struggle, I think. But I think you should win should be in the operative word there. 
I do not feel that way at all at the, at the moment. Honestly, I, I think you've got to earn the right to, to to be in a football match. I don't think Villa earned that right against Bournemouth at any point during the game. It was almost like they kind of felt we can just turn up here and beat Bournemouth. And if you do that in the Premier League, you get turned over. And Bournemouth won that game very comfortably. Villa, Villa were poor, didn't really create anything, didn't defend properly. Set pieces were a complete nightmare. So if I was Everton, I'd have been massively working on set pieces through the week. But Ricky Everton have, have made a couple of signings. Well, Connor Cody in particular, if Lampard's looking to implement a back three and try and make Everton a little bit more solid this season. Really, in the Premier League, there's not many better operators in the middle of a back three than Connor Cody. I, I think that's a really smart signing for Everton. Yeah, really smart. I think also when you take into account they've got uh, Tarkovsky there as well. They've got two players of very, very high level of Premier League experience. And I think Everton in general, I mean, listen, they're again that word project. I know people despise hearing that word philosophy project, but they are under, um, of course, Lampardies. I think trying to build out a, a new stable Everton team, and that takes time. I mean, there will be, as I've always seen last season, bumps in the road with that. I do expect them to struggle again, purely because, I mean, at the moment they've got no forward. If we've been honest with uh, Calvert-Lewin, obviously, is going to be out now for, I think, around six to nine weeks. I, I heard, again, it's... Hard to put a time scale on the injury that he has got. So you'd imagine Everton need to go and get a striker in before the end of the window. I think, look at what they've done so far, Everton. They've signed players that obviously they've done their due diligence on. I know from my end, they were looking at Harry Winks for a while. They seem to have steered clear of that player now. So I think the key for Everton is to buy smart, isn't it? I think they've made some horrendous buys in the last three, four seasons where there's not been enough thought going into them. And I think the key now is they've got to get the recruitment right. And I think we know that at most clubs, Liverpool are one of the best at it. That's why Liverpool are up there at the top of the league. Same as City. Arguably, say now as Tottenham have done really well in January with Kulisevsky. And of course, Benton Core. That's why Spurs got that full play. So I think for Everton, it's going to be another tough season for them. But I think this question marks about Lampard still as well. I don't think Lampard is, is still seen as the Messiah just yet. Of course, he kept them up, but there were still quite a number of question marks losing at Burnley the way they did last season. There's been results that you have to question, should that have happened? So very much it's interesting to see how they get on through the season. I think in a weird way, it's, I think we joked off here, it's the Lampard-Gerard derby, isn't it? It's you know interesting to see really two iconic Premier League players coming together now as managers, who's going to get the better hand of each other. Because there'll be pride in there. I mean, listen, both of them are going to want to win that. There's they know, listen, they're part of the golden era of England where they should have won a trophy, as we all say about England with that midfield. How did they not? So it's going to be intriguing to see how they both get on in their managerial journeys because I say a lot has been made about what they could do, what they can do. A lot of it is about potential. So interesting to see how they both get on. Yes, one of them. Man, there's a few going on at the moment. It's one of those managerial battles, Ben, that makes you feel very old. Stephen Gerrard <laughs> yeah, and Lampard yeah. managing Premier League teams. You've got Vieira managing yeah. Premier, a Premier League team. Scott Parker, all the midfielders from yeah. my younger day. In fact, I don't even think I was that young when, when they were playing. <laughs> they all seem to be managers now. From the outside looking in, the Tyro Ming situation, Ben, I mean, I could go to absolute town on it because I'm really frustrated with it. But what, what do you make of that situation? It's just, it seems Gerrard just has beef with him. Um, I, I just can't see why. he. I mean, you probably know better than I do, Dan. He seems like quite a popular member of the squad. Um, he seems quite a popular member of the fans. To have stripped him of the captaincy and not even include him in sort of the vice captaincy or club captain is really surprising. And that could have quite an adverse effect on the squad off the pitch. And then that will then result in a downturn of form on it, which could you know, heighten the pressure on Gerrard. Um, it's just very strange. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I, I love Tyro Mings. He's been a great signing for Villa. Done, done a lot of unbelievable things at the football club and Villa wouldn't be where they are today without Tyro Mings. It's obviously Gerard's prerogative to change a captain. He's decided to do that. But all the stuff that comes with it and then taking him out of the team as well seems to be talking about him a lot as well. It just seems to be having an, an adverse effect, effect on things. And then if you're doing things like that, you've got to go and win the game. So to turn up at Bournemouth and be absolutely pathetic, Gerard won't, won't be happy with that. Ricky, actually, you know, Gerard at Villa so far has been a mixed bag. Started very well, came in, stabilised them. I could see what a Gerard team was all about. And then, to be honest, it's gone a little bit awry since then. Villa couldn't draw a game to save their lives last season. So it was either win two and then lose three or four on the row. That in a row, that seemed to be what happened to Villa all the way through Gerard's tenure last season. One of Villa's best performances was actually against Spurs in the first half. We absolutely battered you. Yeah, you was in that, you were pretty, in that, yeah, in that first, first half. You was you were yeah, really good. Then managed to go on and lose the game four 0 But he needs a win this weekend against against Everton, doesn't he? It could be quite a tetchy game this one. Yeah, I mean, listen, we're just talking briefly off air, just in terms of you know how much patience and time will Gerard get. It's it's interesting because again, I, I view Villa as an absolutely massive club. You know, they're a massive club. They're a, one of the most established Premier League sides. That in my years growing up, Villa were always up there fighting for Europe. Always under David O'Leary, you look at them as a club. Um, you know, they're always pushing for more. So I think there'll be an there'll be an element of giving Gerard some time because again they've obviously invested in him they've let him bring his own players in he's obviously changed the captain which again is a big call I agree with um, what Ben said there you know to do that you've got to be you've got to be quite you know sure minded that's the right call to make because you don't just change a captain flippantly because that does have a reaction in the dressing room so again not put him as a vice captain. It's a little bit of a slap in the face. Now, the key is how Tyrone Mings will react. I think social media-wise, he's done really well, hasn't he? I think the way he's reacted on social media is what you want to see from one of your players. So, I mean, clearly inside, that may be another question, but um, it is a key game. I think, listen, Villa lose their first two. I think fans do start getting a bit concerned, and rightly so, because you start the season, you make the investment, they bought players early in the summer, and Everton, we're being honest with you, Everton were in the bottom three last season fighting to stay up. So Villa, I think, being at home, they need to get a result for the fans. They really, really do. So I, I honestly see it being a draw. draw. I know you're going to kill me, Dad. I, I do. I, I honestly nah, see two teams the there. I, I think it, I can see that being a 1-1 or a 2-2. For the moment, I just think both clubs are still fine in their way. And again, I do think it's quite key that we've still got a few weeks of the window to run. I think both have said individually they would rather the window shut now because, again, players being linked elsewhere is not great, not knowing where you actually are going to work as a whole of the squad. So I think it'll be a draw. And um, I'll be, I'm also going to say to you, I don't know if both those managers will finish at both those clubs this season. I think the jury's really out as to whether they'll both be there come the end of the season. I mean, Lampard, to be honest, last season, he only had to be a little bit more light than Rafa Benitez, which he was always going to achieve. And he, he did do well to keep them up. You yeah. know, he did, he did yeah. make them a bit harder to beat and he deserves credit for, for keeping them up. But I don't think Everton fans will settle for that kind of that kind of football all the way through this season. They'll no. want to be entertained a little bit more. But he just yeah. benefited, really, from not being Rafa Benitez when Absolutely. he came in. And yeah, Villa Park, mm -hmm. I'm telling you, Villa go one down early. That atmosphere will turn very, very quickly and Gerard might find himself on a sticky wicket. I'm going to go 1-1 as well. Villa to do that and fall behind and somehow find their way back into the game. Ben, have you got a prediction? Yeah, I'm actually going for Villa to win 2-1. Go on, Ben. Um, <laughs> I think Everton um, don't have a great record at Villa Park. I know you can't judge on previous results, but... They've also got two new centre-backs come in, Tarkovsky and now Cody. And I know both are Premier League experience, but they do have to get settled 
with playing alongside one another, playing in a specific system under Lampard, who has now lost Mina and Godfrey to injury. I just think that Villa should, again, should be doing a lot of heavy lifting here, should come away with all three points on Saturday. I'm presuming you didn't say any of that Bournemouth game because I don't think you'd be coming here and saying that if you'd watched 90 minutes of that. Let's move on now to Arsenal against Leicester. Both of yours favourite team to talk about, Arsenal. But Ricky, they were impressive on Friday night against Crystal Palace. I know you won't like them, but there was a lot to like about what, what we saw from Arsenal. Kind of, It kind of falls in line with it. Every time an Amazon documentary drops, I go all in on that team. I did it with with Spurs and Mourinho mm. when the Amazon yeah. documentary was on. I was all in on Spurs and just watching Arteta operate. And looking at Arsenal, this time last year, I wasn't really sure what their plan was. But you look at their team now, and you know, they deserve credit because they have improved. Yeah. Well, I don't think that, I'll be honest with that. I'm not sure that Amazon documentary has done them any favours so far. I mean, we've I've seen only the first, the first three episode, episode, to be honest. Oh, we've seen, obviously, the first three episodes. We've seen Arteta bring out a pair of speakers that are quite like my <laughs> when I was 12 to try and endorse what the atmosphere was like at uh, Liverpool and never walk alone. I mean, that, I mean, I know Anfield and never walk alone can sometimes be a little bit quiet, but to compare it to a pair of JVC speakers that were about the size of I said, but I was a 10 or 12 year old, I'm not sure that's the right way to prepare for a game. But um, <laughs> listen, I think at the end of the day with Arsenal, um, pains me to say it, they've bought really, really well. Look like they've got a plan there. Look like they've got a project there. I feel sick even saying about this kind of a saying. Feel sick talking I bet you're glad Spurs are in a good place, actually. Yeah, I tell you, it's a lot easier this. doing this when Spurs are in a good place. I still yeah. think Arsenal, I've, I keep saying this, I think what Arsenal haven't got is a top-tier manager. And I think had they got, have they got Conte, I would be terrified. But again, it's Arteta. And I think in the big, big games, I still think he struggles massively. And again, listen, the guy, credit to him, he's learning on the job. It's not easy taking on a big job like that. I mean, Arsenal are a huge football club. I am surprised by how much the fans' expectations are is now just the top four. Because um, growing up as a Spurs fan, you know, I think I was having the invincible rubs in my face. I was being told Arsenal would the double, the trebles. It's horrendous. It was horrendous. It was horrendous, Dan. (laughs) So um, the the thing that I say for me is that Arsenal's expectancy now to get into the top four. I think if Arsenal don't finish in the top four, Arteta's under massive pressure. I think it was a big win for him um, on Friday night because we know the way Arsenal started last season, the season before up at Brentford. I think just for the fans to see, they get off to a good start. They've made quite a number of signings. The fact that Jesus played quite well but didn't score... Um, I think they'll have a good season, Arsenal. I don't think they'll maybe finish in the top four. I think, although with Chelsea, I've, I've kind of swayed between Arsenal and Chelsea for top four. I, I think maybe two Chelsea experience just gets them over that line. But Arsenal will be there or thereabouts. I mean, that's the biggest compliment I can pay them, Dan. I've got to be quiet now because it's making me feel sick and too much more. But they're doing all right. <laughs> they're doing OK. If they'd have had Jesus last season, I think it's feasible to say Arsenal would have got top four yeah. over Spurs. Yeah, 100%. Um, he's just a huge upgrade on Lacazette in every area. Um, Zinchenko is the signing that I really like. Um, Tierney didn't do anything wrong, but he has got his injury issues. And without him last season, they really lacked that attacking thrust down the left. But Zinchenko is just, he's able to get forward really well, but he's also able to tap into midfield and kind of give him that pre- uh, presence down the left, like greater presence down the left. And he's so good in tight areas as well that yeah, he just board is... Well. Yeah, he's just, I think he's an unbelievable sign for Arsenal. Yeah, and Ricky Leicester, worried for Leicester. 2 0 up, they were looking good, looking like they put all the adversity of the summer behind them. Still yet to bring a player in. They've lost their captain in Kasper Schmeichel. Like Cody leaving Wolves, I think that leaves a massive mm. void in the dressing room Great. for Leicester. There's still talk over Fafana, possibly Madison going. It doesn't all feel right 
at Leicester at the moment. Rogers potentially, I think, could end up walking yeah. if things continue and he doesn't manage to get any, any players in. Would you be worried as a Leicester fan? Yeah, I would be. I mean, I can only speak from when I see body language. Rogers looks incredibly frustrated in his pre-match and his post-match press conferences. He looks like a man that clearly wants more, but he knows he can't say how he really wants to feel because <laughs> the hierarchy of watching. So <laughs> it, it's a really difficult one for him. I mean, the hard thing is Leicester, what's the ambition there? Of course, isn't they had an incredible season where they won the Premier League. They then obviously followed that up a year or so down the line with the FA Cup under Rodgers. The reality is you look at where those teams are now, how teams have evolved and moved on. Liverpool, City looks set and cement in the top two. You look at Tottenham, Arsenal, it looks like a project and a plan there. Um, Chelsea are still Chelsea. They've still got world-class players. And then outside of that, really, Leicester falls into that mix with West Ham, the Evertons, the Aston Villas. I don't really know what their ambition is. And they haven't really kicked on as a club in terms of the squad there as well. I mean, there's not been a replenishment. I mean, Rodgers at the back end of last season called for an overhaul. And we're sitting here recording in the, well, middle of August now. And he's got relatively the same squad to work with. And he's lost Pereira to injury as well, which is a massive blow to him. And he's admittedly said that he's not sure if they'll do any business. So I can only assume Leicester fans will be really frustrated. Obviously, I'm not a Leicester fan, so I feel like I can't comment exclusively on how they feel. But based on their performance at the weekend, to go 2-0 up against Brentford, and don't get me wrong, Brentford are a good side of their day, but you're at home, you're in command of the game. To let that slip like that would have been incredibly frustrating. Would have been incredibly frustrating. I mean, from day one, to have that as a sucker punch there and concede two goals... Doesn't bode well, I think. And Rogers, as I've said about Lampard and Gerrard, I'm not too sure if he'll be there come the end of the season. Now, I guess, Ben, if you look at Leicester, there's two seasons where they finished fifth and they really should have got fourth. And now look back on those two seasons now as a massive missed opportunity. The club could be in a completely different place now if they'd had a couple of seasons of Champions League or even one season of Champions League. I'm not sure how they managed to finish eighth last season. I really felt like they had a poor season, but they somehow managed to finish eighth. But at the moment... You look at that team, a couple of injuries, and they're, they're a team that picks up a lot of injuries, Leicester, for whatever reason. I think they're going to struggle to be in the top half. Yeah, I think that's the key thing. Is you look at that immediate starting eleven, the one on Sunday against Brentford is a good eleven, But beyond that, they do lack that strength and depth. And with Madison still linked with the move away, for final linked with the move away, and they've lost Schmeichel, and now they've lost Hamza Chowdhury to Watford as well. They Their squad's looking very thin in terms of top flight experience beyond that immediate starting 11. And as you said about the injuries last season, if that happens now, they are just going to start to plummet, you feel. Let's have a prediction for this one then. Arsenal v Leicester. Ricky, I'll come to you first. Yeah, pains me to say, I can only see a home win. I'm going to go for a convincing 3-1 home win to Arsenal. Yep, same. I was going to go for 3-1 to Arsenal as well. Ben? All across the board, 3-1 to Arsenal. 3-1. It is, so fully expect Leicester to go there and win 1-0 with those predictions. Let's finish then with <laughs> Nottingham crossed, Forest. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you'll be very happy with that, wouldn't you, I'm sure. Let's finish then with Nottingham Forest v West Ham. Of course, Jesse Lingard, Ben, he'll be playing against his old team. Many perhaps thought that Lingard would go to West Ham. He's chosen to go to Forest for a year to begin with. It's Forest's first home league Premier League game for 23 years. It is good to have a team like Forest back in the Premier League, isn't it? Yeah, I'll speak, I've got some mates who are Newcastle fans. And I said to them last last, uh, last week that Newcastle, not in Forest, is a proper Premier League game. Yeah. So to have, have them back in the Premier League is a breath of fresh air. They look really good under Steve Cooper. I mean, they were bottom of the championship when he took over. So for them to have finished in the playoffs and then to beat Huddersfield in the final is a huge accomplishment. They didn't look too bad against Newcastle last week, but then 
you know, Newcastle have been very good in 2022, so it's not yeah. really much. You can't really look much into that. Um, my issue would be how many players they've signed. Um, you look at Fulham when they came up two seasons, uh, one well, a couple of years ago, they signed about 80 players in each window, um, and then went straight back down. You so you have to look at the fact that they've bought in at least what, 12, 13 players now. You've got a whole starting eleven there that's just a new team essentially. So it'll be interesting to see how they do in their first home game. They'll have the crowd right behind them. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Lingard gets on against West Ham. He had a decent record there, as you mentioned. But you know, it's, it's just nice to have them back. I think it's nice to have a team kind of in Nottingham, you know, back in the Premier League. Yeah, home games will be important, won't they, Ricky? I mean, if you're going to stay up as a newly promoted side, your home form is absolutely vital. But it's a tough game against West Ham. West Ham are a very, very good Premier League outfit nowadays. But with the, the fans behind them, Forest will think they've got a chance of three points. Yeah, I mean, again, uh, Premier League games, that like you said there, for, for Forest, the importance of the home games are absolutely crucial. West Ham are a bizarre team on their travels. I know they've occasionally seemed to struggle. Uh, they have got some surprise results on the road. But I think... It's weird. Steve Cooper, I've got a really good feeling for him as a manager. I really like the way that he he got Forrest up last season. (laughs) Bearing in mind what he took over there. Um, I think they were bottom of the table he took up or near bottom and he took them straight to the playoffs and got them up. So he may surprise a few people. I think Lingard, because it's only a 12-month deal, a season-long loan, many are questioning whether it's right if it's financial rather than obviously based on the fact that he wants to join Forrest. So... In a way, I mean, that should hopefully motivate him to want to put a performance on. And do you know what? He'll be getting a lot of stick from the West Ham fans, I think, personally, at the weekend. So, if ever you need to show what you're about and to prove yourself, that's a perfect opportunity to do that. So, wouldn't surprise me at all if Lingard turns up and scores a couple of goals. But um, West Ham, I think they've got... Skamaka's a great signing. I've got to say... Do you know what? To get someone like that at his level... you know, I don't know how West Ham do this. West Ham, (laughs) over the years... When you look at the kind of signs West Ham have made, the Mascaranos, the Tevezes, and now this guy, and there's been some more over the years, they do seem to pull out some absolute worldy signings. And people are like, well, how did you do that? Uh, I think this guy is going to very quickly do really well in the Premier League. And I think he'll have a lot of the big clubs after him, you know, in the next 18, 24 months. So I probably will say for this one, Dan, I'll probably go for a draw. Um, yeah, I think Forest, they can't afford to lose at home. It's the second game. They need to get something. And West Ham, I feel. They didn't play too bad against, obviously, City, but it's always a tough game. City at home, it's one of the toughest games you're going to get in the Premier League. I feel West Ham will pick up something, and I reckon Forrest will get a point. So, 1-1. I'm going to go 2-1 to West Ham. I think if any manager deserved to be backed by the board this summer, I think it probably was David Moyes. I think he's done a brilliant job at West Ham. And Skamaka and Corner, Mm -hmm. they... They will add something to, to that attack. I think at times they couldn't really refresh their attack much last season, West Ham, and maybe that cost them in the end. But Skamaka and Corneau being there, you know, you've got alternatives to already go with great players like Bowen and Antonio. You know, Fornells, Lanzini still there as well. You know, they've got some good players to come into their front three. West Ham, I think they could do with a few more options in central midfield to, to take the burden off Rice and Suchek a little bit. But I think they'll go to Forest, and I think they'll win two one. Skamaka, like you say, Ricker. I think he's an exceptional player. He's, he's going to score a lot of goals for West Ham. Ben, we'll finish with your prediction. Um, I was considering whether to go for a draw or not, but I think you've now swayed it, and I think West Ham are going to go and win 1-0. Yeah. As you say, they've now got that sort of quality and attack now, Corne and Skamaka, and that just eases the pressure on Bowen and Antonio to get the goals week in, week out. 
Yeah, options off the bench, vital in the Premier League, as we've seen a number of times. That does us for this week's edition of the Edge of the Box podcast, previewing match week two in the Premier League. We will, of course, be back next week to preview game week three. So make sure you've got your post notifications on and are subscribed to the channel so you know when that video is staying out. Staying out, that video is coming out. Ricky, thanks ever so much for joining us. Good luck to Spurs on Sunday. Obviously, we all know it's going to be 2-0 to Tottenham Hotspur because my predictions (laughs) are always spot on. And thanks to Ben as well for being here as well. Yeah, as I say, we'll be back next week. Only one thing left to say, stay safe. Stay safe.